You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness, and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. How can we begin to understand this remarkable phenomenon? A group of people meditating together can lower crime? Dr. Tony Nader and scientists David Orm Johnson and Ken Kavanaugh discuss the findings that every individual in the population contributes to the national consciousness. And reciprocally, national consciousness influences everyone. The research is focused on the advanced techniques of transcendental meditation and shows how large groups of people practicing this technique have a large positive effect on society, with significant decreases in the national homicide rate, motor vehicle fatality rate, drug-related death rate, violent crime rate, infant mortality rate, and fatality rate for other accidents. Listen in as they discuss the results and what this could mean for lowering the overall stress of our society and our world. It is important for every one of us who is listening to realize that if we were to say something about this to other people or scientists and say how great it is that this program can reduce, in this case, drug-related fatalities and drug uh, problems and all of that, many will say, oh, this is very difficult to control. There must be some other factors and all of that. And so it's very important to know that this study has been done so accurately. And that's why Ken tells us at the end that if we hadn't done this, they would not have been able to publish this paper. And yet we find a very precise, significant and important correlation due to the presence of this group when they are there systematically reliably, repeatedly, we have a reduction in these conflicts and these problems, and it's not due to any other factor. And if I may, I'd like to now turn to a study again that appeared earlier this year, really in 2022 in August, of homicide rates. And we'll see a similar pattern of improvement during the demonstration period and then a deterioration of this improvement in the follow-up period after the group fell in size. Now, here is a, here's a plot, the monthly U.S. homicide rate from 2002 to 2016. So again, we have the, our axis down here shows from 2002 on. And our vertical axis, we have the monthly homicide rate per 100 million. And we have three periods, our baseline period, our so-called experimental or demonstration period of the social experiment, and the post-experimental or follow-up period. And so these are defined in the same way. These three periods are defined the same way in all of the studies we've discussed so far. And uh, what we see during the baseline, we see a gently rising trend of the monthly homicide rate. And you notice there's lots of ups and downs, lots of fluctuations up and down. These are due primarily to seasonal factors. There's strong seasonal variation in the monthly homicide rate. And the rates get higher, for example, during the summer than during the winter for reasons that are you think about it for a minute, are pretty obvious. <laughs> so we have to take into consideration the seasonal pattern 
And we have to, in analyzing the trend, we have to take into account that there is a seasonal variation. So the blue line shows the trend after, after adjusting for seasonal variation. And we see here that it was gently rising uh, during the baseline, five-year baseline period. And then beginning in January 2007, we see an immediate shift to a downward trend. And uh, again, we have the seasonal variation, but now it's it's around a declining trend, steeply declining trend. In fact, the, de the decline was 19.3% relative to the baseline mean, that change in trend, very substantial. And then we see when we reach the end of December 2011, the end of our demonstration period, again, the group has fallen below the critical threshold. So we see a flattening out of the decreased trend during the demonstration period. So the trend increases, it shifts from a declining trend to a leveled off trend. And then beginning in January, 2015, we see that the homicide rate begins to take off again, just like we found in the look at, at the drug-related fatality rates. So this acceleration during 2015, 16 was associated with the group size falling to its lowest level since the baseline period. So these changes in trend are what we statistically analyzed. The change from, from the baseline, was there a significant change in trend from the baseline period to this trend during the demonstration period? Then was there a significant change in trend from the demonstration period to the first sub-period of the, of the post or follow-up period? And then there was, was there a subsequent change in trend during this segment, this 2015 segment? And in each case, the change in trend was significant. And we can summarize that here with, again, with a bar chart. This bar chart shows the, the, the trends in monthly US homicide rate for this whole period, 2002, 2016, before, during, and after the demonstration period. And this takes the information in the first chart that we've just shown that shows the actual trends. And then we just plot the number of the, uh, you know, what's the trend during each of the four periods. So we see during the baseline period, we see a relatively small positive bar here, uh, meaning that the trend is, is increasing, but it, it's, it's a slightly increasing trend. Then we go to this blue bar is the demonstration period or experimental period. And we see that bar is declining, just as we saw in the uh, drug fatality rate. And we have a p-value for that change in trend, which is one less than one, the probability is less than one times 10 to the minus 10, which is that this could just simply be due to chance variation. So it's one in less than one in 10 billion chance that we would observe this big a decline in the trend during the experimental period relative to baseline if this there really were no effect here, if there's really no true effect. So we're, in other words, the p-value tells us this is the probability of observing such a large shift in trend if really there is no trend to be observed. It, it, it really didn't happen. So that is one level of very high statistical significance. Then we have the shift in trend from the experimental period to the first post-experimental period, follow-up period. And again, we saw that the trend flattened out. So we see a, a flat, very small, very, very slightly positive, but it's basically a flat uh, trend. And that change in trend from the blue bar to this red bar Again, it's a probability of less than one in a million of observing that kind of shift of trend relative to the demonstration period. And then we look at 2015, 2016, we see this very tall maroon bar, which shows a very high trend rate of growth 
of homicide rate uh, when the group fell to its smallest level since 2006. And the probability here of observing such a huge shift relative to the demonstration period is less than one in 10 to the minus 20th, which is less than one in 1.3 quarter trillion or 100 billion billion. <laughs> so again, highly statistically significant. So we have a 19.3% reduction in trend relative to the baseline mean. We've talked about the probabilities of the p-values. And so we don't need to go through that on that slide. We've described that, I think. So let's talk about number of lives saved, very important measure of effect size, practical effect size. An estimated total of 27,369 homicide fatalities were averted during uh, the study as a result of the decline in homicide rate trend relative to the trend that would be observed if the baseline trend had continued. So 27,369 is a very close agreement with the finding and the study that David summarized earlier, David Arm Johnson, Dr. Abram Johnson. Uh, I think the number there was about 28,000. So these, these numbers from the monthly data agree very closely with the annual data. And in addition to, to the overall change, or we, we could say that this overall change is broken down into two different numbers. First of all, 10,594 homicide deaths averted during the demonstration period per se, and then an additional 16,775 during the follow-up period, making a total of 27,000. And we could look for in the newspapers, what are we seeing about the period since the group declined in size? Well, for example, in 2020, the U.S. murder rate, according to the press, uh, rose 30 percent. This is FBI statistics between 2019 and 2020, the largest single year increase in more than a century, according to data published by the Centers for Disease Control. That, that's the data we use to analyze in our study. So this simply says, wow, that trend that we see, uprising trend in homicide has continued after 2016, and we get this very, very large spike in 2019 to 2020. So the problem has gotten worse since the group went away. Alternative explanations, again, we have to rule these out very persuasively. And uh, fortunately, we are able to make that case, I think, very well. The primary factor we would look at, a number of factors, are economic changes, for example, changes in unemployment and inflation. Well, the decrease in crime rate during a, a steep recession that happened during 2008-2009 is unprecedented since World War II. In every serious recession, there's been an increase in crime rates, violent crime, property crime. So one theory was, this is very puzzling. This is very, very puzzling to the experts on crime and the economy. Why did we, this happen? Why did the result that we've just summarized, how could they possibly happen in the past? Anytime you had a serious recession, and the 2008-2009 was the biggest since the Great Depression, why did crime fall rather than increase? And so it just completely blew their understanding out of the water, so to speak. So the more, most recent literature looks at inflation rates. And the latest economic theory is that the inflation rate declined, and that reduced the crime rate. And the reason is, we won't go into great detail, but the idea is that when inflation rises, individuals are forced who are at the margin economically, they're having a hard time economically. Many of them decide to participate in the illegal economy 
and are involved in the in robbery or in trading stolen goods, and that exposes them to greater danger of violence. And likewise, when inflation goes down, there's less participation in the illegal economy, and so there there's the crime rate would not uh, increase during that period. But what we've seen is that this change in trend in, in uh, homicide rate started in 2007, well before 2008, 2009. And also when we introduce inflation rates into our statistical model and see, well, does this have any effect on the significant results that we see in, in trend changes? And the answer is no, it has no substantive effect whatsoever on our findings. So we can conclusively rule out national economic changes, I think, as a viable explanation. Another change, possibly changes in incarceration rates. So you put more criminals in prison and you expect crime to go down. And that's the theory underlying uh, the record level of imprisonment in the United States, which has the highest imprisonment rate, I think, in, in the world. Uh, more and more people put in prison, try to get the crime rate down, and it hasn't been working. Well, changes in incarceration, we looked at the data. Actually, people were being released at a faster rate during, during the period of the demonstration period than during the baseline or after. So that can't explain it. Maybe there were changes in police strategies, policing changes. And according to the leading expert on the crime and the economy, that explanation doesn't fly. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Or he'd be emphasizing that as the main cause. He said there haven't been any major changes nationwide. Maybe a city or true like New York had some good results with an innovative program in Los Angeles, but nationwide there were no major changes. They're doing things pretty much uh, the police the way they've always done things, according to Dr. Rosenfeld at the University of St. Louis, who's the leading expert on crime and the economy. Other changes are demographic changes. For example, in the percentage of youth aged 18 to 25, this is the most crime-prone segment of the population. Perhaps there was a decline in, in youth in that age segment during the demonstration period. Well, actually, it's just the reverse. So that can be ruled out. Temperature changes, we include temperature changes in our, in our statistical model. And our findings regarding the significant changes in trend uh, were not affected by including temperature in, in the model. So we can rule that out. Seasonal cycles, we've adjusted for our pre-existing trends. We've seen we've adjusted for that. Violation of statistical assumptions. Again, we get a very careful what's called sensitivity analysis and diagnostic tests for what's called statistical conclusion validity. Again, a bit of jargon, forgive me for the jargon, but that simply means that uh, statistical assumptions underlying our analysis were met in this case. So uh, we cannot attribute our findings to, to those factors. Now, there's one point I wanted to mention, that is the issue of causality and the issue of the materialist paradigm that, that Dr. Nader has emphasized today and, and so brilliantly in his writings and his brilliant article. And uh, his writings draw on this, this and amplify and uh, further substantiate uh, Maharshi's conclusion that consciousness is the basis of all that there is. This is the traditional understanding from the so-called uh, Vedantic or Vedic literature, ancient Vedic literature of consciousness. Dr. Nader has really elaborated on that and, and put that understanding, ancient understanding of consciousness in the framework of an axiomatic logical framework, very rigorously explaining the whole development 
uh, consciousness, the uni unified field of consciousness into its diversified values and uh, brilliantly in, in an extremely important study from the point of view of the study of the science of consciousness, uh, that paper will be, I think, seen as a, a landmark study for all times. And we could say here, although the results of these studies on homicide rates and uh, drug-related fatality rates are consistent with a substantial body of previous peer-reviewed research, these findings will likely appear to be paradoxical from the point of view of the dominant materialist or physicalist paradigm of modern science. And as Dr. Nader has pointed out, the nature of consciousness remains a great mystery from the materialist perspective, which is based on the idea that matter is all that there is. And by contrast, the, th the theoretical predictions of the current research that we've been discussing are derived from a rich body of knowledge of consciousness and its applied technologies uh, introduced to the West by Maharshi Mahesh Yogi, the renowned scholar and scientist of, of consciousness who bought transcendental meditation and its advanced techniques and many other values of the ancient understanding of consciousness to the West. And this knowledge has been elaborated, further elaborated brilliantly by Dr. Nader, as we mentioned in this rigorous framework of formal logic. And this perspective bridges the gap between consciousness and matter. And the fundamental precept is that consciousness is all that there is. And consciousness, as Dr. Nader has mentioned, just to summarize, is viewed not as an emergent property of matter generated by functioning of the brain and human nervous system, but rather consciousness is seen as a fundamental reality at the basis of all matter and all diversity in the universe. And pure consciousness is described as the essential nature of life, a unified, unbounded field of pure intelligence beyond the limitations of space and time, which gives rise to all the expressions of consciousness that we see in the diversified world around us. And this consciousness-based paradigm and understanding explains that the beneficial effects of group practice of these technologies of consciousness, TM and TM City program, the effects of group practice on society are the results of reducing stress and tension in national consciousness through enlivening the universal field of consciousness at the basis of national and individual consciousness. So this universal field underlies both our own individual consciousness is at the basis of our own thought, and which is at the basis of our own behavior and so on. It's also at the basis of what we could call the national consciousness. And this idea of a collective consciousness is one that's actually, there are some common expressions that relate to that. For example, in public opinion polling, they talk about the national mood and in finance in studies of the stock market and financial economics, they talk about investor sentiment or investor mood. Or in the military, in military science, they talk about uh, morale or the unit morale, the army morale. So that idea is that there is there is some kind of group value of consciousness, some collective value of consciousness that we're familiar with uh, in our common understanding. But that value is much greater than we have ever anticipated prior to the knowledge that's been brought out from the ancient Vedic tradition through Martian and elaborated by Dr. Nader that this field of consciousness is at the basis of our own individual thinking, and it's at the basis of our own behavior because it's at the basis of our thinking. Likewise, it's the basis of the, what we could call the national consciousness. So changes in thought of individuals and society are influenced by the enlivenment of this universal field of consciousness within at the level of pure consciousness. 
So the change comes from within, arising naturally from within. The criminal, as Marcy said, thinks one way today, and then you create this effect, and he thinks a different way tomorrow, or finds a law-abiding way of achieving his desire of more money or more satisfaction in life. So these changes due to, to the group, uh, which we could, has been called the Maharshi effect, is a phenomenon arising from consciousness, really interacting with itself, moving with itself. It's a phenomenon being produced on the level, deepest level of consciousness, pure consciousness, then influencing more expressed values of consciousness and individual consciousness, and thereby expressing, thereby influencing expressed values of behavior. And 28 peer-reviewed published empirical articles on the Marshy effect, on this group effect, provide compelling evidence, I think, uh, supporting the principle that consciousness is all that there is. And I strongly recommend these two references uh, by Dr. Nader, uh, his brilliant paper in the journal, International Journal of Mathematics and Consciousness, Consciousness is All That There Is, a Mathematical Approach with Applications that appeared in 2015. And uh, we have the website, I mean, the, the link to that on this chart that's also there elsewhere available. And then this brilliant book, One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness. So the only other issue that we could address, if there's interest and there's time, and that is the issue of causality. And I think we can, we can make an argument that uh, these effects are causal, as we've discussed on one level, but there's more arguments we could make. So uh, would it be all right, Dr. Nader, to briefly go over these? Yes, yes, that's wonderful. Let's have a complete vision of all the possibilities. And it's beautifully, really inspiring and promising and gives hope, really, that we can do something so profound about these aspects that are uncontrollable, incontrollable, non-controllable by by means that are only superficial. And they are superficial because they're acting on the essence of life poorly understood, I would say. It's, it's a convoluted sentence. But if we don't understand the true essence of life and we act on this wrong understanding of what life is, what nature is, what reality is, which is what we have been thinking it is, which is physical material, then we have to constantly try to act on the physical, on the material, on the surface level. Whereas reality is consciousness. Reality is a movement of consciousness, an elaboration, an expression of different layers of consciousness, like waves in the ocean, based on the ocean. And so if you try to work on the surface level of the wave, you can only produce so much change, which is very little. If you disconnect from the wave from the ocean, then the wave dies. It becomes a small ripple or it doesn't have any, any effect or it becomes withered away by the wind. If you connect the waves to the ocean, then you can have huge waves of activity and possibility that are powerful based on the power of the ocean. And the analogy, of course, stops because this is just a metaphor. You can you know, keep going. But in a sense, what is most important is to know 
that when you are connected to the roots of life and you act from the roots, you can change everything on the surface. If you have a tree that is withering away, the fruits are not healthy, the leaves are dying, and you act on the surface level because you think that's all there is about the tree, and that is its surface expressions, then you are going to struggle. But if you know that the tree is nourished from its roots by the field on, in which it is, then watering the roots, then you can see all the enjoyment and all the possibilities and all the good things on the surface of the tree. And what are the roots of life? We have been misunderstanding throughout so many centuries and times, except for great luminaries who have expressed the importance of the roots of life, importance of the inner depths of consciousness. But in general, this, this great fascination and belief, which is a dogma actually, completely a dogma, because there is nothing that supports it anymore, that all that there is is physical, and therefore we want to act on the physical, we want to change things on the surface level, we want to grab things on the surface level, we try to do things on the surface level, is leading to much less change and much less satisfaction and good results than acting on the roots of life, which is consciousness. And by changing consciousness, we can change the leadership, we can change the decision of the leadership, because the collective consciousness will influence the behavior as it does influence the behavior of people who commit crime, people who commit problems and don't see any solutions other than fighting and other than creating issues. Now they start seeing more. It's like bringing the light. It's like watering the roots. And the roots of life are in consciousness. By changing individual consciousness and group consciousness, we can change the whole society. And we can see as this wonderful result show us that there is a true effect from the level of consciousness that can save lives, literally save lives, improve the economy and improve so many things. As we have seen, the factors that have been studied to see if they are alternative explanations, actually, in many cases, go against the group effect, as if they are they would have created more crime, the changes that have been studied. And so that all the more shows the powerful effect and the real effect and its real significance in creating a difference. So this really studies that have been done and the logic that have been presented are very powerful. And what do we do about it? What can we do about it? First, we can practice transcendental meditation for our own self, for our own improvement. And this we have not discussed during these podcasts because we are concentrating on the group effect, which is very important. There are hundreds of studies to show the powerful effect on the individual. So already we can do that for ourselves, for our own improvement. If we care about society, which everyone does, particularly those who participate in, this, in these podcasts, because they are looking for something more, 
then we can either ourselves become part of a group. We can come to Marisha International University and you should check the, the site, the tm.org, also tm.org. This is where you can know how to learn transcendental meditation. Or if you are wealthy or you know people who are wealthy, talk to them about this. Tell them there is this knowledge, there is this science, there is this understanding that is substantiated scientifically in a very precise way that can make a difference. And be bold about it. And we are happy, Dr. Kavanaugh, uh, other scientists, myself, are happy to talk to those people and show them the studies and explain to them the logic so they can be convinced to support the group. We have people interested. We need the support. We need somebody to sponsor it. And if you are able yourself to do it, that would be fantastic. Or if you know somebody who can do it, that would be also great. Or yourself, you can just start by transcending and participating in these programs. So all of this is very, very convincing. And there is one more layer of being convinced and that is why Dr. Kavanaugh has taken us through these precise, precise studies so that you are for yourself confident about the effectiveness, about the significance, about the correlation. I mean, when you hear one in three trillion and one in one billion, it's huge. It's really huge, which means the significance is so real that it cannot be doubted. And now causality is this just a correlation is this is just not a, you know a correlation which means two things happening as we will hear now from from dr cavano or it, there is a cause and effect so this is an additional layer of studying and understanding that shows us how much and to what extent the scientists have gone to discuss this which for people is of course unusual you know, people close their eyes and then somebody feels better and they don't do crime. And, and once in one's good mind, one would say, oh, how could I imagine that this is possible? And that's why we went through so much pain and trouble <laughs> to actually check every possibility and analyze it. And that's why we're presenting it to you. So you are also convinced and have what is needed to respond to potential discussion or criticism and see the extent to which this has been done scientifically. So we look forward, Ken, to hearing more from you about causality or correlation and what the difference is and how you can say that there is cause and effect in these studies. Thank you very much, Dr. Nader. I, I just wanted to mention quickly before we do that, and that is that similar detailed consideration of alternative hypotheses is presented in the uh, four papers that appeared in 2016, 2017. So we looked at six different measures and were able to go in great detail. And virtually all of those measures that were summarized so brilliantly by Dr. Orm Johnson and the overall uh, picture that he gave of, of simultaneous decline, which is a very powerful evidence of a causation in itself, that so many different things are moving all in the same direction at the same time. So uh, considering causality, okay, there's a there's a phrasing uh, a phrase. Well, correlation does not prove causation, and that's very true. But it's also true that if there's causation, there should be correlation. So 
correlation it, it uh, has to be there, but it, by itself, there has to be more. And okay, let's consider seven different factors that that uh, distinguish or, or that lend support to the idea that this is a causal effect, not just mere correlation. Just to highlight again, correlation means two things happening at the same time. Somebody likes chocolate, they eat lots of chocolate, and at the same time, they get headaches or they get something. And is it a cause? Is the chocolate causing the headache or is it something else? Now, suppose this person who eats chocolate at the same time, they can't sleep because chocolate wakes them up. So can we say that it's chocolate that's causing the headache? Indirectly, yes. In a sense here, in this case, there is some causation because chocolate prevents the person from falling asleep. Then because they don't sleep, they get a headache. So therefore, somehow chocolate is causing the headache. But is the cause of headache eating chocolate directly? It is not. Chocolate has created something and that thing is what caused the headache. Now, in this particular example, there is some causality, actually. There are other examples where, for example, somebody eats chocolate, but at the same time drinks some other thing. He likes to, while every time they eat chocolate, they drink some juice or something. And suppose they have allergy to that juice. Now, because they do the both things, you can think that every time they eat chocolate, they get an allergy. And they say, well, they're allergic to chocolate. But they didn't look at the fact that they are also drinking juice at the same time. And this is the juice that's causing the allergy. Now, this is a simplistic thing. But in science, it's very important to differentiate one thing happening after the other from one thing causing the other. So even if one thing happens always after the other, it doesn't always mean that that thing causes the other. So I hope I, I didn't mix you up, but it's important to know what what Ken is going to tell us and why we are looking at this uh, this factor. Okay, so what kind of factors are necessary to make causal claims about a, what appears to be a correlation uh, or an existing correlation? Well, one is predicted reversals in trend. For example, theoretically predicted successive changes in trend in the opposite direction at the theoretically predicted times, as we found in all of this research. We predicted in advance there's going to be a change from the baseline trend to the demonstration period trend. And then in the follow-up period, there's going to be another change in trend. And they come, not only are there trends in the, in the direction that's hypothesized and predicted, but they occur when, when they're predicted to occur. So that's a very powerful indicator. And there's correlation there, but it's much stronger. You have much stronger evidence that they're plausibly a causal effect. A second factor is so-called dose effects. And this is from, from medicine and biology and so on. And that is the idea that a larger, a larger amount of, of, of chocolate will have a larger headache, you know? <laughs> so, and here in terms of this research, the larger, larger TM city groups are associated with evidence of larger societal effects. So that's very important. That shows a dose effect. So you vary, you vary the treatment, the level of treatment, so to speak, the dose, and you get a corresponding increase in, in the uh, observed effect. 
Uh, another factor is replication. So you may have one study or two that show this kind of relationship, but the key is in science is studies need to be replicated. They, they need to be done again and hopefully many times uh, to provide really strong support because, and in this case, we have empirical support for the hypothesized societal effects of these, of these groups. And they've been reported in 28 peer-reviewed articles published in independent scholarly journals. And many more studies have been published in book chapters and compilations of scientific research in scientific conference proceedings and so on. So it's a huge body of research. So we have a huge amount of replication. So we're passing that test. If it's really causal, there should be, it should be replicable. And we've, we've, got, we've got that. Uh, next thing is temporal precedence. And we've talked a lot about that, that there should be a evidence of a unidirectional effect in which the hypothesized cause precedes the effect. And here we have changes in the size of the TM city group or the percentage of TM meditators in a city, for example, uh, preceding predicted changes in crime rate or drug fatality rate and so on, but not the reverse. So the increase in drug fatality rate does not predict the increase in the number of meditators. And we've done tests of that in several studies. Okay, so that's one factor. A fifth factor is, uh, and this helps, predictions lodged in advance. And there have been several studies in which the outcomes of a prospective study were lodged in advance with a formal independent review board composed of public officials, the press, and, and in the case of one important study in Washington, D.C. on crime rate uh, with representatives of the police department. So predicting the effect in advance helps to strengthen things. And I think it's safe to say that Maharishi now is on, on record in numerous publications and in all of these studies we've done, I think it's, it's very well established. And any study that we do, there's a, a predict, there's an effect predicted in advance. No matter what we say about it, it's there in the literature. So every, every time we do this, we're meeting that, that criterion of prediction launched in advance. The sixth factor would be, and this is very important, Causal interpretations of observed empirical associations, that is correlations, require that the posited or, or hypothesized causal effects are based on an explicit theoretical framework. And in this case, such as Maharshi's Vedic science of consciousness, Maharshi's science and technology of consciousness, that is capable of generating testable predictions. So you, you can't just go from a correlation, you have to have a theory and you're on a strong ground scientifically if you have a theory that generates predictions that then can be causally or can be statistically evaluated whether or not those predictions are realized. And we so we're meeting that criterion for hypothesizing a causal relationship here. We have a theory, it generates these predictions, and uh, they support the predictions based on theory. And lastly, holistic societal effects. And uh, Dr. Orm Johnson pointed this out brilliantly. We see all those individual measures of national stress or indicators of public health changing in the same direction at the same time and decline, you know, improving during the baseline, improving during the demonstration period, and then that being reversed to some extent or a considerable extent in the follow-up period when the effect is no longer, the group effect is no longer there. So this holistic effect that so many different variables are being influenced in the same way, they're all improving during a demonstration period and they all 
uh, fail to improve and get worse during the follow-up period. This is a strong measure, I think, a strong argument in favor of causality. So these seven factors, I think, support the conclusion that the results of our 28 peer-reviewed published studies, articles, I should say, on the group effect can be interpreted as a causal relationship, a causal finding, not merely a correlation uh, that may or may not have a causal implication. And finally, uh, Marshy has said that the future of the world is bright, and that is my delight. And he sees that, and he saw that the application of these technologies of consciousness are capable of creating that bright future in a very cost-effective, a very cost-effective and efficient way. And it's just a matter of uh, we have to take advantage of, you know, make a well the sunshine. We've been given an unprecedented opportunity to create a better life in the world and in society. And if we do it, the world would be very bright and that will delight Maharshi wherever he is now <laughs> in the universe. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Nader, for the opportunity to present. And again, I want to thank my coworkers, my co-analysts co for their brilliant contributions. And you know, work like this cannot be done, I think, by individuals, certainly not by me as an individual. And, and the brilliance of Dr. Uh, Dilbeck and Dr. Ron Johnson uh, has made that work much more uh, efficient, effective, and fulfilling and profound, I think. This is wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Cavano. This is really bright and delightful. How much of a delight and hope and fulfillment this is. This is so profound and so great. And uh, really very well done, very well analyzed, all the factors it is predicted, it is systematic, which means there is a technique that is specific, not just something vague that everyone does on their own, but uh, it's a very systematic technology, a technique that everybody does in a specific way, which is also a requirement in science that there is a system, not just some vague kind of mind kind of aspect. It is so predicted, it is systematic, it is reliable, it is repeatable, it is dose-related, it has, uh, you know, looked at all the possible factors that can contribute and has eliminated them. It has passed the test of causality in terms of a correlation that is actually causal, not just by chance. That's why we have these amazing significance numbers. And it works when the group is there, when the group stops, uh, we see going back to the situation before. So from all angles, this is powerful and we invite everyone to join in. For it to work, we have to do it. Society has to take the decision, to make the decision to actually do it. And then we have seen clearly it has to be done on a permanent basis. And so that's why it requires a good planning, a good budget, and any country can do it. They have the budget, as we heard before, they have much, much more than what is required. And it can also be done on a global level, on a level where it can influence the entire world consciousness, because the formula is the same. And when the numbers are right, with enough people that are, uh, you know, mature in the knowledge, which uh, which is very simple because it doesn't require studies and and PhDs and doctors, 
you know, even children do these techniques. And if we have good, solid people who commit to it, it's very easy to do. It's very pleasant for the individual. It's not like hard work. To the contrary, it's the experiences that we hear from those who participate in these programs are absolutely experiences of joy, of bliss, of fulfillment, of what they call support of nature, because all the good starts coming to oneself and one feels that the doors open, one's activity is more successful and there is more fulfillment in life. There is better health, better behavior, better relations. So for the individual's sake, it is very profound. And now we've seen that for society as a whole, for our nations and for the whole world, it has very great promise, more than promise. It's a scientifically proven technology. So whatever we can do to transcend ourselves or to participate in a group or to inspire people to participate or to support this program at this time particularly, but for all time to come, it is vital. It is vital to raise consciousness because consciousness is an ocean and that ocean has all possibilities. And we as individuals, we have freedom. If we don't see well, we can walk in the wrong place and fall and hurt ourselves. If we see well, we walk in the right direction and reach the goal. And the goal is unbounded consciousness, to experience higher states of consciousness, to grow in unity consciousness, where we know that the ocean is myself, but the, also the ocean is everybody else. Otherwise, if we are on the level of the waves, the waves can fight each other. They look like they are different and they fight each other. But if we accept the wave and yet know I am the ocean and the other wave is also the ocean, then we can all grow together as an ocean that is expanding in beautiful waves of bliss and happiness rather than clashing and fighting. And so from the level of consciousness, we can open our awareness to the roots of life, that they are the unifying power, the unifying intelligence, the unifying field that is one and the same. And there we lose our fear of the other. We lose our fear of diversity and we allow diversity and multiplicity to grow and blossom on the basis of a strong inner unity. And that is what will make a difference for all levels. And that's what will give our awareness greater comprehension on the individual level, broader perspective and long-term vision for our society and therefore our leaders who will spontaneously find the solutions for the big problems that they are struggling with and that they cannot seem to resolve. But nature, life, consciousness, which is managing the entire universe, that is the intelligence that we need. That's the intelligence that we have within us. And from that intelligence, then we can find the right solutions for ourselves and society. So this is wonderful that we've had this opportunity to see the empirical, the scientifically studied, very rigorous research that supports the feeling, the idea, the theory of consciousness is all there is. And even if we don't want to believe in this, 
we can just try and see the results. So it's not based on believing or even understanding the theory, but it's important that we analyze it from all these perspectives so that we can be satisfied and actually make the steps necessary to make it happen. So thank you all very much. I don't know if uh, Dr. Orm Johnson, who has been beautifully, patiently connecting. No, I've been, I'm here. I'm here. I've been really enjoying. That was really wonderful, Ken. And I loved your commentary, Dr. Nader. Wonderful. Do you want to add anything before we close? Yeah, as a matter of fact. Well, if you just considering, you know, what are considered the greatest scientific discoveries of all time, and the things like gravity and electricity, and the theory of evolution, and the theory of relativity, and Big Bang theory, and penicillin, and all of these things have been fantastic in giving humanity ability to do more things, to be healthier, and uh, to understand nature more deeply. But really, there's nothing greater, or in my opinion, as great as this discovery that this simple thing can change everything almost overnight in a positive direction, the whole civil, the whole society. So that's, that's just <laughs> what I wanted to say. This is such a fantastic discovery, scientific discovery. Beautiful, beautiful. And thank you for contributing. We send our Greetings also and salute uh, Dr. Dilbeck, who is also very much participated not only in these studies, but throughout the times in so many studies and, and has been the main editor of nine volumes of thousands of scientific research studies on the effect of transcendental meditation and this TMCD program on the individual and society. Any last word, Dr. Cavano? Uh, I would just again say, <laughs> make hay while the sun shines. This is my my hope that we will do that and create this effect very, very soon. And I think, it, I think it's going to happen. Thank you all for being there. And it's everybody's contribution that will also really make the future bright and will be the delight of all of us. <laughs> all the best. Take care. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.